Oh, Lord, gather us into your dear name. Gather us out of every distraction into you, Lord. Oh, Father, we ask you right now to strengthen us with power into our inner man. That you can make your home deep down in our heart. We ask you, Father, grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. To see your up-to-date vision. Oh, Lord, and grant us an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, Lord. We treasure your presence and we treasure your speaking, Lord. We love you and we open our whole being to you. We open our being to you without any reservation or condition, Lord. Dispense yourself into each one of us, Lord. And prepare us more to be your bride in this session. Okay, dear saints, praise the Lord. Uh, again, I'd like to remind us, for those of us who who weren't here previously, that the, the general subject for these four messages is loving the Lord and loving one another for the organic building up of the church as the body of Christ. Okay, now we come to, you know, your outline messages three and four, and We'll split this outline into uh, two parts. We just have to see how the Lord leads us where the first part ends, you know. Um, But I want you to notice the title. It says, Taking the God-Ordained Pathway for the Church, the Way of Philadelphia, According to the Lord's Up-to-Date and Ultimate Recovery to Bring Us into a New Revival to turn the age. So, saints, when we talk about a revival, uh, we're not talking about the revivals, you know, in Christendom or, or, you know, of course, we need to be revived every morning, right? That's why we have holy word for morning what? Revival, right? But we're talking about the final revival, a revival that will turn the age. Um, And, uh, of course, that revival is a revival of us being fully built up as the church. You know, in Matthew 16, where the Lord said, I will build my church, that's the greatest prophecy in the Bible. And I, I'm talking about prophetical prediction. It's not fulfilled yet. The Lord is still building his church. Uh, his building up of his church is the building up of his body. It's the, it's the preparing of his bride. And when, when it, the church as his body is fully built up, bride is fully prepared, that will usher in the kingdom of a thousand years where we reign with Christ and we feast on Christ for a thousand years. That will be our wedding day. You know, Peter tells us that one day in the Lord's sight, it's like a thousand years. So that, that we want that to be our honeymoon, a thousand-year kingdom. Uh, that will be our honeymoon where we, where we have the uttermost enjoyment of Christ and where we reign with Christ as co-kings over this earth. It's just really quite astounding. You know, but saints, just remember, we came this way. The Lord brought us into his recovery to Prepare us to be his overcoming bride, to build to build up his church, and the building up of his church is 
the preparation of his bride. Just like with Adam and Eve. You remember, I won't get into the whole, can give a whole message on that. But the Lord uh, caused Adam that he put Adam into a deep sleep, took a rib out of Adam's side. And it says in Genesis 2.22, he built the rib into a woman. He built the rib into a woman. What is the Lord doing in this in this age? What is the Lord doing in this meeting? He's building a woman. He's building a woman. See, the building of that woman is the preparation of the bride. So, of course, that rib, without, you know, elaborating, but that rib signifies the unbreakable resurrection life of Christ. And so he builds that rib into a woman. And who is that woman? Eve. Eve means living, living. So we don't want to be like Sardis. We'll talk about this. The church in Sardis had a name. They were living, but they were dead. And we, we don't want to be like that. Uh, uh, so even the picture with Adam and Eve, this is what the Lord is doing. He's building us into his bride, into his bride. Okay. Uh, now, saints, um, when we talk about the God-ordained pathway of the church, the way of Philadelphia, what we're referring to is Revelation 2 and 3, seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. All those seven churches were in Asia, seven churches in Asia. And um, Revelation 1.1 tells us specifically that Revelation is a book of signs, signs. Signs are symbols with spiritual significance. So when we look at these seven churches, of course, they were actual local churches, actual local churches. But also, they have a prophetic significance, a prophetic significance, because they're, they're also signs of, of how the Lord moved, how the Lord moved from the initial stage of the church up to where we are presently. And we need to see that prophetic significance. Now, um, if we consider these seven churches, I'll just mention this briefly, you know, Ephesus signifies the initial church, the initial church. And we shared previously, we'll see here, that, uh, you know, actually, uh, if you look at the end of Paul's ministry and the end of John's ministry, the degradation of the church had already begun. In 2 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, all Asia has turned away from me. Uh, which, of course, you can see in John's ministry the same thing. Uh, John wrote Revelation. So you can see the degradation. You've left your first love, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, but anyway, um, with Ephesus, we see the initial church. Mainly, um, I would say, you know, after, you know, the original apostles left the scene. Paul was martyred. Peter was martyred. But you have the initial church with Ephesus shortly after that. Smyrna signifies the suffering church. And that took place mainly, um, you know, during the course of the Roman Empire. There were some Caesars who were very, very evil, including Caesar Nero. And they persecuted the church. Uh, you can see the Roman Colosseum today. That Colosseum was used to just cast 
Christians there, and they die, they would die terrible deaths. Uh, but they love the Lord so much. Oh my goodness! If you go to okay, now what I'm sharing with you is not only in Brother Nee's ministry and Brother ministry. If you read uh, Miller's Church History, Miller Miller's Church History is according to what I'm sharing with you, and uh, is very very enlightening. Uh, well, anyway, uh, Nero was very very evil. He's even a type of the Antichrist. And you read the life, I encourage you to read the life study of Revelation much deeper than that, which I won't, I won't get into. Uh, oh my goodness. But, um, here you have the suffering church. Well, here's the thing. When the church was suffering, it was prospering at the same time. You try to, try to put the church down, the church just rises up. You know, if you look at, at Russia, for example, Soviet Union, uh, the Berlin Wall was there, um, and um, there were a few brothers here in the United States who prayed for Russia consistently, daily, desperately, when that wall was up. And I remember, I said, man, these brothers are so faithful. How could anything ever happen in the Soviet Union? You've got the Berlin Wall. You've got, listen, you could get a degree in atheism there. A degree. Can you imagine that? What's your degree? Oh, I got a Bachelor of Arts in Darkness. <laughs> in atheism. Uh, you know Dick Taylor and I. We're, okay, Dick and myself and Andrew Yu, we were preaching the gospel every night. And, um, but let me say this. Dick and I went to one place uh, to preach the gospel and to share some things. The name of the street we were on was No God Street. No God Street. And the building we were speaking in was the Society for the Blind. So we were on No God Street in the Society for the Blind, we were opening people's eyes to see that Jesus is God. Amen. Wonderful. You know, the brothers told me, said, Ed, the name of that street has been changed now. You know, because I always use that as an example. But it was, it was, it was atheism. You get a degree in it. Um, uh, it was, it was against the law to have a Bible. So eventually the Berlin Wall came down. Russia opened up and and thank the Lord for uh, our dear brother Lee. He realized now's the time for us to go to Russia. And so we went. And um and in those gospel meetings, you know, I went in January '93, and uh, Joel Kennan and some others went before that. But it was so funny. Uh, we were meeting in Brother Lee's living room, a, a group of us co-workers, and he wanted, um, you know, brothers, I'm not saying, we all have different functions, okay? All the members do not have the same function. Nobody's above anybody. But we have to recognize all the members do not have the same function. And we need to, we need to love one another and appreciate one another's function. Well, there were some people around Paul, they had a particular function. Like Timothy, Titus, Trophimus, he could just tell them go here, and they went to come here. 
come to me, and they came. That's a very small group, you know, about 10. You know, if you can look this up in uh, Collector Works of Winners Lee, um, but mostly that's not the case. Even even in, when, when Brother Nee was still alive in mainland China, most, with most of the co-workers, they would ask him, um, Brother Nee, what should I do? And he would say, well, just pray. He would never tell them what to do, where to go. But with Brother Lee, he'd say, Brother Lee, come here to Shanghai. I need you right now. Brother Lee, go to this city. I need you to go to that city. He had a small group. He had a sister named Peace Wong, who was very godly. You know, Peace Wong, she was the one the Lord used to get Brother Lee saved. It's remarkable. And then both of them became Brother Lee's co-workers. Listen, I, I just tell you a little story. Brother Lee was 19 years old. Peace Wong was 25 years old. And Brother Lee heard, there's going to be this young woman. Uh, she's going to preach the Christian gospel. Uh, and he was curious. I mean, this is over a thousand people. And, you know, for, for a, a young Chinese woman to speak to a thousand people, that's unheard of in the early 1900s in mainland China. So he went out of curiosity. And, um, Peace Wong preached the gospel. And she preached the gospel using the illustration of the children of Israel, you know, eating the Passover lamb and coming out of Egypt. You know, Passover lamb signifies Christ. Behold the lamb of God who takes away sin of the world. That's Christ, right? And then they had to put the blood on the upper doorpost of their house, you know, on the, on the side post, and, and then when the angel, you know, depicting God's judgment, he says, listen to this, I love this, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's the Passover. You know what the Lord sees right now? The blood. He sees the blood. He passes over us. He sees our Passover. And then, of course, we know that not only did they have the efficacy of the blood of the lamb. They also ate the lamb. Also ate the lamb. So he's not just our judicial redeemer shedding his blood. We we need to eat him as our spiritual food. You see? So they ate the lamb. And they ate the lamb in a particular way. You know, when we eat a meal, we sit down, we relax. No, no, no. They ate it standing up. Staff in their hand. You know, sandals on their feet. They they were eating for moving, eating for moving, and so they ate the whole lamb. It even it even says they had to eat the head. Can you imagine that? The legs for moving, the head for wisdom. You know, uh, I went to Taiwan one time, and uh, you know, and uh, the Chinese are amazing how they can take a fish and kill a fish and make 20 dishes out of it. Or, you know, you know, or beef, Kung Pao beef, this kind of beef, that kind of beef, you know, just wonderful, you know. Oh, I went to, uh, um, anyway, 
this dear sister, oh, she's so wonderful. She took Benson and myself and Albert uh, to a, uh, and Benson's family to a, a Chinese, very good Chinese restaurant. And, and uh, the, the person who owns the restaurant said, come with me back to the back room, big fish tank. And so, you know, he was speaking in Chinese, but I could tell what he was saying. And it was Abraham Chang's wife, you know, she took us there, Faith. Said, Which fish do you want? Faith points a fish. She takes out a club, boom, kills a fish. <laughs> Whoa. So we go back to the table. Here's all these fish dishes, different fishes. What's in the middle? Fish head soup. The soup with a fish head sticking out of it. I said, I'm not touching that fish head. <laughs> No way, no way. Well, you know, anyway, one of the brothers did, one of the Chinese-speaking brothers, and Benton's son got so sick when he saw that brother, you know, eat the eyes and everything, he had to go to the bathroom, you know. And just, you know, I just closed my eyes, you know. I went to Japan one time, I'm sorry, and the brothers there, they they took me to a, you know, a seafood restaurant, whatever, and they bought me a fish. You know, with the head on it, the eyes. You know, it wasn't like fillet a fish sandwich at McDonald's. It was like, and so I'm looking at. It and they said, brother Ed, the head is for the most honored person. <laughs> we want to honor you, brother Ed. So the fish head is for you, and so. In one day, I called on the Lord Jesus. <laughs> so I ate it, but I ate I ate around the eyes, you know. I ate <laughs> but the tuna visual it specified, you know, you have to eat the legs, you have to eat this, you have to eat the eat the head of the lamb. That you go to the life stage signifies the Lord as our wisdom. But my point is, is they they applied the blood, and they ate the lamb. And they ate the lamb standing because their eating was for moving. When they ate the lamb, the lamb got into them, energized them, strengthened them, and propelled them to move out of Egypt. Pharaoh signifies Satan, and Egypt signifies the world. So they moved out from under Satan's domination, and they moved out of the world's usurpation. And they crossed the Red Sea, which signifies baptism, you know. And then they, of course, they went into the wilderness. You know the whole story. Well, Peace Wong is sharing this. And Brother Lee was so enthralled. Uh, he received the Lord right there in the meeting. And, um, and, Okay, I'll say this, especially, I want you sisters to listen to this. I want the brothers too, but especially sisters. Um, well, he said this. He said to this day, that was the time, 1984, whatever. But he meant it for all his days. He said, I never heard a message given that was that powerful, with that much authority. He said, you know why it was so powerful? Because this sister loved the Lord to the uttermost. And he said this, our love for the Lord is what qualifies, perfects, and equips us to speak for the Lord. You see? Sisters, remember that. 
Just love the Lord. Come to the microphone. Speak for the Lord. Now, of course, I'm not just upon that. All of us brothers, what, what qualifies, perfects, and equips us to speak for the Lord is our love for the Lord. Um, and so because she loved the Lord to the uttermost, it was such a powerful word that Brother would say that. And uh, if you if you read the, a lot of the ministry, you read the part where Brother Lee said he walked out of that meeting, he looked up to the heavens, and, and he gave his whole life to the Lord. He consecrated his whole life to the Lord. Lord, I just give you my whole life. Right there. On the day he was saved, he consecrated his whole life to the Lord. He said, Lord, I want to preach the gospel everywhere in mainland China. I don't care about whether I have money or not. I'll drink from the brooks. I'll eat the roots of the trees. I don't care. I just want to preach the gospel everywhere. Tell the Lord about Tell people about my dear Lord Jesus. Now, what's remarkable is that is that Peace Wong and Brother Lee ended up being Brother Lee's co-workers. So Brother Lee and Brother Lee, I'm sorry, and Peace Wong, they had a particular function, you know, like Paul had these 10 co-workers running that he could say, go here, go there. Peace Wong was like that. Um, Brother Lee was like that with Brother Lee. And um, and it was like they were brotherly, and and you know, I mean, brotherly did not ask uh, Andrew and Dick and I to go to Russia. He said, "Brothers, you're going to go to Russia," <laughs> and it was January, January, and you know, who goes to Russia in January? Are you kidding me? Um, okay, because I want you brothers to go to Russia, and. Um, you, you know what he said after that? He said, have a nice vacation. And then he laughed. Because you don't take a vacation in Russia in, in January, you know. So anyway, uh, we we went to Russia. And um, <laughs> it's just wonderful, wonderful. Um, yeah. So thank the Lord, you know, that... that um, Thank the Lord for Brother Lee and Brother Lee, and I was so grateful uh, to be with him in that in that kind of way. It was a great privilege. Um, so uh, let me come back. I know I went, I'm going down tributaries. Okay, let me come back to the to the river here. Uh, you have the initial church, then you have the suffering church. Uh, oh, my whole point was this: is you try to point. Put the church down like in Russia. No God. No God. No God. Listen, Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in every man that only God can fill. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has put eternity in man's heart, which the Amplified Version says uh, eternity means a divinely implanted sense of a purpose, which nothing under the sun but only God can satisfy. You can't take that out of man. You can say there's no God for, I guess it lasted, it didn't last that long. You know, then it lasted about 90 years. Um, you can have a degree in atheism or something in man. There's a divinely planted sense of a purpose. Working throughout the ages, which nothing under the sun, but only God can satisfy. And so, um, when we were having these big gospel meetings, 
um, you know, what the brothers would do is they would pass out uh, New Testaments to everyone who came in the door, you know, that weren't translated in Russia. And um, everyone would come in, and one of the brothers would say, how many of you are holding a Bible in your hands for the first time? About a thousand Russians there. All the hands would go up. All, I, I tell you, saints, every time I'd see those hands, I'd just start weeping. I'd say, my goodness, we take this book for granted. We take this book for granted. People have died, been martyred to get this book into our hands. You know, and here are these Russians. We pass out a Bible to them. You're holding it like this. It's so precious to them, you see. And first time uh, they ever held a Bible in their hands. Now, this brother Joel Cannon, he was one of the brothers who really prayed, um, you know, for, for Russia. He was preaching the gospel one time, one of the first times in a big gospel meeting. He said, okay, whoever would like to, would like to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, Please stand up right now and pray with me. The whole congregation stood up, a thousand people. He said to his translator, did you translate correctly for me? <laughs> you know, he thought the translator made a mistake. You know, this is, what's going on here? So he repeated it. And then the translator said again, and they stood up again. And they all prayed. And they all got saved. So that's the way it was. It was so open. Um, and um, so over, my point is, is when, when you try to persecute people, you try to prevent them from seeking God, it just, it just, it won't work. You can't suppress, you can't suppress God. God's going to beat you. Do you know what I mean? You can't fight against God. Okay, so you have the suffering church. Um, then Pergamus signifies the worldly church. That was during the time of Constantine the Great. Uh, uh, Constantine the Great, that was toward the end of the history of the Roman Empire. He made Christianity the religion, the, the, the state religion. And w under Constantine, if you were born under his empire, you were automatically a Christian. You didn't have to be born again to Constantine. You just had to be born. Now, that's not good, you see? We have to be born twice to be a believer. But in Constantine's eyes, and the people in the Rome, under his empire at that time, you're born, you're Christian. Well, that was the worldly church. The church was married to the world at that point. And um, that's not a good situation. Now, you come to the next stage of the church. And these are stages. The next stage of the church is Thyatira. Thyatira signifies the apostate church, the apostate church. This is a time in church history when the church really deeply fell away from God's eternal economy to the uttermost. They were totally apostate. And, um, you know, this is, um, this is the Roman Catholic Church, Roman Catholicism. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it, it might be hard for us to say that or to accept that. But uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, John says four times. First, he says, I was in spirit on the Lord's day. And I turned around 
see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He saw the churches in his spirit. Then in Revelation 4, uh, he said, immediately I was in spirit. He saw the world situation in his spirit. I, I like Revelation 4, 1 and 2, because the Lord says to John, he says, uh, come up here, come up here, and I will show you the things that must take place. You know what the next verse says? Immediately, I was in the spirit. How do you get up there? You, you're in your spirit. When you get in your spirit, you go up there. You go up to the heavens. Immediately, I was in the spirit. You see, listen to this. You know what happens? Immediately, you get in your spirit. You know what you confront the first thing? Immediately, I was in the spirit, and behold, there was a throne set in heavens. When you get in your spirit, first thing you confront is the throne of God. You are under God's ruling when you're genuinely in your spirit. Then when you come to uh, Revelation 17, you know, the Lord uh, carried John away in spirit to see, uh, oh my goodness, to see something, you know, a, a religious system. I'm talking about religious system. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the system uh, that, that the Lord calls the great harlot the prostitute, the mother of the harlots, uh, and um, full of idols, full of darkness, uh, full of uh, demonic teachings. Um, you, you, you read the epistle to Thyatira, you can see that. You read Revelation 17, you, you can see that. Saints, we need to be in spirit to see that revelation. It's not a matter of Understand, you have to be in your spirit to see a revelation of that. Um, so John saw that. He saw that. He saw the apostate church. But then in Revelation 21, it says, He carried me away in spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, New Jerusalem. Amen. He showed me the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That city is not a place we go to. That city is what we're becoming. We are becoming the bride. That city is a person. You know, I think I wrote an article for Affirmation and Critique. I was so burning. The New Jerusalem dash a person. A person. The New Jerusalem is a great God man. Say it that way. God is in man. Man is in God. The New Jerusalem is the wife of the Lamb. Isn't that a person? Of course it's a person. The Bible clearly says that. Uh, anyway, Thyatira signifies the apostate church. You know, when Ruth and I were in Houston, we were in the we lived near the medical center, and that's where we met Wanda, you know, Wanda Shum. And um she worked in the medical center. And um and and um oh my goodness, Wanda, I just really love her to this day. Okay. I was taking care of this brother who's going to medical school. I really love this brother, brand new. I bring him to his first meeting in the church in Houston. I'm sitting next to him. Ben, brother Benson Phillips is sharing. What is, what is the message Benson is giving? He's sharing on the great Babylon. Fire coming out of Benson. Just You know, Benson, I tell you what, and, and Peter reminded me. 
just like Abraham Shank. First quality you confront with Benson Phillips is absoluteness. He was absolute. He was clear, crystal clear. He did not compromise. So he's sharing on Babylon. This is a brand new one. I'm her, oh, Lord Jesus, what am I going to do, Lord? You know, I'm praying for this new one, you know. And Benson is sharing about Babylon, and, and it's all the truth. You know, and, and this was a brother. He, he, was, he was born again, but he was brand new. And uh, I was praying for him the whole meeting. You know, it's amazing what the Lord does. My first meeting was a prayer meeting. Who do you bring? You bring a new one to a prayer meeting? But I was a new one. I came to a prayer meeting. I was caught. You can't put God in a box, right? And then here's his new brother. His first meeting is on Babylon the Great. <laughs> so after the meeting, I said, oh, Lord Jesus, what should I do, Lord? And then I said, brother, uh, brother Jim, he, you know, he's, that, that was his first name. I said, what do you think of the meeting? I said, like, uh-oh, what am I going to confront here? What do you think of me? He said, well, Brother Ed, I listened closely to what that brother shared, and he said, I really need to consider this very much before the Lord. I, I really need to consider this very much. He got caught for the Lord's recovery. First message on Babylon. How about that? And then he became a medical doctor. Then his one of his children came to full-time training. Go figure. Babylon, the great first message. Okay. Then the next stage of the church is signified by the church in Sardis. What does the church in Sardis signify stage-wise, prophetically? It signifies the church in Reformation, which began with Martin Luther, which began with Martin Luther. And we could say that's the product as when the Protestant church, Protestant church began. And, you know, Martin Luther, when he was reading Romans, and he came to that verse in chapter 1, the just shall live by faith, that was a flash of light in his being. It changed the course of human history. Just that flash of light within him. And so you have that stage. But, um, saints, remember, Sardis, it says, you have a name that you're living, but you're dead. We don't want to be like that, do we? We have a name that we're living. You know, uh, I don't know if we still have the name. Maybe in our settlement, the church is living. Say hallelujah. Did that go away? It went away. <laughs> There's so many hymns went away. We had, we had hymns, anyway, based on, you know, tunes that, you know, reminded you of things before Christ, B.C., you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, so that needed to go away, right? <laughs> but we don't want to say that the church is the house of the living God and be dead, right? We don't want to have a name that we're living and we're dead. That's terrible. Uh, but the Lord says it's a sardis. So in the, in the stage of the, of the Reformation church, the Protestant church, they had a name that they're living, but they're dead. You know, when I married, uh, when I married Ruthie, we got married, um, in Western Kansas, in this small town named Scott City, uh, in Western Kansas, wheat fields everywhere. Uh, if you're from New York City, and I took you there, you'd say, Ed, this is the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. Uh, <laughs> and 
uh, I mean, the nearest airport was Wichita. It took you four and a half to five hours drive to get there, to get there. So the brothers in Houston said, Ed, you've got to go to Scott City because really dad was a pastor. You've got to honor him. Uh, you know, that's her father. Allow him to marry you guys. And then one of the brothers from Houston came up to support me. I'm real. I love that brother. You know who the brother was? The, the brother was the very brother that I talked to you about previously who said, Ed, let's go to a meeting in the church in Houston. You remember? And then, and then we went. He said, oh, Ed, these people say, Lord Jesus, I love you. That's the very brother who came to support me at my wedding. So he came. And um, uh, here we are. Um, you know, and okay, um, I, we were there, and um, you've heard me share this before. I invited all my tax collector friends to the meeting so that I could preach the gospel to them. And I did that. I did that. But I also had to get some kind of license. I forget what it was, marriage license, something legal. So I went to the judge there in Scottsdale, the judge. I go in to see the judge. And uh, I had to sign a legal document. This is a judge in Scott City. This isn't a judge in New York City. You know, it's a whole different environment. Well, I go in there, and somehow we get to talk. We find out we're brothers. He's a brother. I'm a brother. And uh, we start fellowshipping. I forgot that I was getting married. I was enjoying the Lord, you know. And and I said, I said, um, eventually, you know, he told me his name was Gordon, Mr. Gehring. I told him who I was. I said, Gordon, how'd you get saved? He said, Ed, I came home one night. Uh, he said, I was partying that night. You know, as a young man, I was partying, really partying, you know. He said, I came into my apartment. I turned on the television. He said, I was so inebriated, I just collapsed on the couch. Not, well, I shouldn't say so inebriated. He was inebriated enough that he collapsed on the couch. He still had his senses about him. He looks on the television. What does he see? Billy Graham preaching the gospel. He was so wiped out. He couldn't, he didn't have the strength to get up and turn it off. So Billy Graham said, now I want everyone out. I want everyone out there who wants to receive the Lord right now. Come to the front. If you're watching on television, get that on your knees right now. He got down on his knees right now there, and he prayed, and he received the Lord as, Lord as a Savior. Right there. And that changed his life. He became a judge, a distinguished judge. And, um, oh, I just loved him so much. He was a member of uh, Ruth's dad's congregation. So every time Ruth and, Ruth and I, and we would go visit her parents, uh, I would always go with Ruth to when her dad was preaching, and I remember seeing Gordon in the congregation one time. Oh, I felt so bad for him. He looked so down. He looked so depressed, so dejected. And and I was I was I'm still not critical of him in any way. Uh, he 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 was in a dead environment. You see what I mean? Nothing nothing was being infused in him of the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit to make him living, vital, active, 
fresh, new, and young with the Lord. But it, it was just, um, you know, that's just the atmosphere uh, in Sardis. And I just felt so bad for him, you know. Uh, but there, there was nothing I could do for him, you know. I mean, if it would have been me, I would have been, I'd have been in the same. It's the Lord's mercy we're here, saints. You realize that? It's just the Lord's mercy that we're here. And uh, anyway, just giving you an example of you have a name that you're living, but you're dead. Now, what is the next stage of the church? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. What does Philadelphia signify? Philadelphia signifies the recovery of the proper church life. The recovery of the proper church life. That is the church. That the stage of the church prophetically. That's what the Lord wants us to be. See, in that stage. That is the church of brotherly love. And that's how New York City is, right? Brothers, don't you love one another? Can you say amen louder? We love one another, right? What a miracle. We love the Lord Jesus, and we love one another. And we're not trying. We're not just, you know, there's a, there's a law of the spirit of life in us. That law is an automatic principle. It's a spontaneous power. That law of the spirit of life, if you read the footnotes on Galatians 6, 2, and 3, that law of the spirit of life is the law of love. That means when you exercise your spirit, you switch on that law, just like the electricity, the law of electricity. You know, when we want the lights to come out on here, we don't call the power plant if the lights are out. We don't call the power plant and say, oh, uh, Mr. So-and-so, can you please do something about the lights here? He'd say to me, foolish man, the electricity's already been installed in your building. Just turn the switch on. Saints. <clears throat> The process and consummated turn God has already been installed in our spirit. And we can liken him to electricity. So we just need to switch him on. Now you might say, well, Ed, um, how can you liken him to electricity? Where in the Bible does it say that? I want you to think about this. Maybe some of you know. Don't say if you know. But I think most of you don't know. Okay, listen. It says this, the Lord says, when I come back as the Son of Man, it will be like the lightning flashing from the east to the west. What is lightning? Lightning is pure electricity. That means the Lord is like electricity. You see that? Uh, look at the footnote. The last sentence says that. The last sentence, isn't that amazing? So we've got divine and mystical sevenfold intensified electricity in our spirit. Just switch him on. Switch him on. He, listen, our triune God stepped out of eternity into time with his divinity into humanity. He passed through human living, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. He became the Zoe giving spirit, the life giving spirit. Then in Revelation, he's the life-giving sevenfold intensified spirit. He is in our spirit. And listen, this is amazing. He is a spawn. Now, our, our God, whom we love, who lives in our spirit, he is a automatic principle. Amen. 
Our triune God has been processed to become an automatic principle in our spirit, just like this, this Bible. You see, there's a law of gravity, right? Am I right? So, so look, if I, if I let my hand go, what happens? It drops. Because there's a law, a spontaneous power, an automatic principle. Unless I go up in a space shuttle, then I could just let it, if Eddie says, Ed, give me your Bible, I'll just let it go. Goes. It just floats over to him, right? Because we're outside the law of gravity. But we're within the law of gravity, so it, it automatically, you know, you know what's going to happen. Well, our trained God, our process and consummated trained God, he is an automatic principle. He is a spont- spontaneous power. That means when you have him switched on, how do you switch him on? You call on the name of the Lord. You say, Lord Jesus, I love you. You pray, read the word. You fellowship with the saints. You preach the gospel. There's so many ways to switch him on, right? When you say, Lord Jesus, I love you, don't you switch him on? Can you say, Lord Jesus, I love you right now? You know, I always like to look at people's faces when they say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Sometimes they're like this. And then they say, Lord Jesus, I love you. And then their face, their face gets so bright, you know. Uh, anyway, we have to switch him on as electricity. And he's a spontaneous, spontaneous power. That means there's, that means the Christian life is effortless. It should be effortless. The Christian life should be effortless. The Christian life should be spontaneous. Listen, um, okay, uh, we have the law of digestion, right? Physically. When I eat some food, digestion is taking place in my being. You could say it's the law of digestion. Uh, and I don't feel, if, if, I, if I feel something in my stomach, something's wrong with my stomach. Do you know what I mean? So, so this law goes on spontaneously, automatically, effortlessly, and it goes on unawares. I'm not aware of it. Do you understand what I mean? It's operating within me, the law of digestion. I'm unaware of it. How about the law of aerodynamics? That's what I enjoyed coming here to New York. You know, spontaneous. It's more powerful than the law of gravity. Law of aerodynamics. You need a you need a higher law, a greater law, to overcome the law of gravity. So you need the law of aerodynamics. And so I didn't try to push the airplane. Ooh, I need to push the airplane. No, just get inside. Just get inside and enjoy the law of aerodynamics. Just get inside of Christ. Get in your spirit. When you get in your spirit, you get in Christ. You get in the, okay, I'm going to quote from the ministry now. You think, you think that, oh, Ed's being kind of, you know, you know, his speaking is rough. Well, I'm just going to quote you this. We need to get in the jumbo Jesus. A jumbo jet. A jumbo jet. You know, I think we still call it that, the jumbo jet, right? And brother, I, just look it up. Type it, type it in your computer. Jumbo Jesus. You'll find it there. You'll find it there. 
And that's not, a, 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 you know, it's not like we're, we're putting more down or anything. Brother, he was using that illustration to say, when you get in your spirit, you get in, in the Lord Jesus as the real 747. You know, I, I still remember in Dallas, we lived near DFW, and those big uh, uh, Lufthansa jets used to come in. The 747s, right? Man, that, that's when they were first invested. So huge, you know. They would fly in. Oh, I used to like to watch this. You know, uh, that's who the Lord is in our spirit. Um, you get inside of him, effortless, spontaneous, spontaneous, automatic, unawares. You, you don't, you're not even aware that you're overcoming, but you're overcoming. You know, when, when, when Moses came down from the mount, he was shining. He wasn't aware that he was shining. But everyone says, let's put a veil over his face. You see, once you realize, oh, I'm shining, shining stops. You see, you look inside. Don't, don't do that. Just look away under Jesus. Amen. You see, unawares, effortless. If you feel, oh, this is so hard, Christian life, church life, so hard, you need to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I need to turn to you right now. I, I like to be in my spirit. Um, when, listen, Christ is in your spirit. When you get in your spirit, you're in Christ. And so in John 14, 30, the Lord says this. He says, the ruler of this world is coming. That's the devil. He says, but in me, he has nothing. That means in me, he has no ground. He has no chance. He has no hope, and he has no possibility in anything. He's the only man that could have ever said that. Now, this man is in our spirit. When you get into your spirit, you get in Christ. And when you are in Christ, the devil has no ground, no chance, no hope, and no possibility in anything with you because you're in him, right? And in him, the devil has no he has no hope, right? So, um, so saints, let's let's enjoy that law. Amen. Let's enjoy Him as a law. You know, Brother Ricky's going to give a whole message on this in the Thanksgiving conference. I did his outline, <laughs> and and I, I anyway, I gave him so many references. He said, "Brother Ed, you gave me." I'm not going to tell you how many pages, but then I had to tell him, "Oh, Ricky, I made a mistake. I should have said." supplementary reading, but I didn't put supplementary. So I'm not going to tell you how many pages. I, I feel bad. I gave him so many pages, more pages than any in the history since Brother Lee went to be with the <laughs> Ricky writes me, he goes, Ed, I'm still reading the long, underlined, long reference list you gave me. But then I was able to tell him, just concentrate on this. The rest is supplementary. You know, he said, I'm going to read it all, but let me know when you've read it all. <laughs> you know, I've read it all. You know that, right? When I give out reverence, I've read, I've read them all, you know, even, you know, Ricky, those perfecting training messages. I'm not, I'm nobody. You know, we all have different functions. Those messages have been in me for years, years and years and years. Uh, oh, you read the perfecting training. Really got to Romans 8. He just camped there. He camped there. He didn't know he was going to camp there. 
But the cloud of the spirit just wouldn't let him move. He camped in Romans 8. Oh, those will revolutionize your life, those messages. Um, anyway, a lot of messages just in the perfecting training, right? <laughs> Wonderful. I love giving Ricky my outlines, you know that? I really like it. And my outlines are usually long. So Ricky gets it, he goes, oh, I know Brother Ed gave me this one. And, and one time I did a two-page outline for him. I said, how about that, Ricky? This time it's only two pages. Right, Ricky? He was happy. He was happy. Okay, anyway. But okay. We want to be take the way of Philadelphia. Amen. Now, what's the next stage of the church? Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is very important to us. Because what Laodicea is, is it's a, it is a degraded Philadelphia. It is a distorted Philadelphia. I would even use this word. You can look it up later. It is a transmogrified Philadelphia. You know, even that word sounds bad, right? Not transformed. Transmogrified. Look it up like transmogrified. Distorted. Degraded. Transmogrified Philadelphia. In other words, okay, prophetically, stage-wise, the only thing that can happen to Philadelphia is for Philadelphia to become Laodicea. And so Laodicea, if you read Laodicea, Laodicea, you know, they're proud, they're lukewarm, they're Christless. Oh, there's so much. That, okay, in the stage of Philadelphia, when it began in the 1800s, um, the brothers, you know, they just called themselves brothers. Some of them were brilliant, brilliant. You know, John Nelson Darby, for example. He translated the Bible into English, French, and German. He did a whole synopsis of the Bible. Willie asked Brother Nee, Brother, Brother Nee, how can I understand the whole Bible? At first, Brother Nee didn't answer him. Then Brother Nee visited Shanghai. I mean, Brother Nee visited Shanghai. And again, Brother Nee was very mysterious, just like Brother Lee was. He comes into Brother Lee's room. He tosses the... Darby's synopsis of the Bible on his bed. You know, it was bound up, tossing on his bed. Witnesses, this is for you. Brother, he looks at it. Synopsis of the Bible. If you go, oh, when I was in Brother's study, that synopsis was still there. The very synopsis Brother Nee threw on his bed. He read the whole synopsis of uh, John Nelson Darby. I'm so glad that Brother read that. Because he, it's not easy to understand. So Brother Lee sifted through all that and look at the life studies. Or the life studies, uh, like reading a, a, a calculus book or something. No, it's not like, um, uh, how do I say, it? biochemistry or something like that. You know, uh, my, my wife, she got a degree in nursing. She had to take all of these courses. I mean, I was terrible at chemistry. That's a my brain is fossilized, you know, trying to learn chemistry. Some of you are brilliant chemistry. You know, some of you guys are so brilliant. Uh, you know, you know, Bill. There's people out here. They have doctorates. They have like Wanda, Wanda, Wanda Shum. You know, PhD. Um, um, oh, there's another sister that worked with Wanda. 
in in Houston. Um, I can see her. Uh, Louise Shu. You know Louise Shu? You know Louise Shu? Peter? Oh, Peter, Ruthie and I love her to this day, brother. Oh, my goodness. She had so many degrees. PhD, you know, so many letters, you know. We used to invite the saints over every night, Ruthie and I, when we first got married, especially when it wasn't a meeting night. And so I invited a group of saints over, and they all had to cancel, except Louise. And Louise, is, is, is she's Chinese-speaking. She can speak English, of course. She's, a, she's brilliant, works at the medical center. But I was thinking, Lord Jesus, how are we going to relate to Louise? What are we going to do? So Louise comes over. Ruthie and I, just Ruth and I and Louise. And so I said, Louise, tell Ruthie and I how you got saved, came in the church life. She tells us. We were all weeping, all of us. Louise was weeping. Ruth was weeping. I was weeping. I could never forget her as long as I live. Never, never, ever. I, I, oh, she is like, she is a priceless ruby to me in the new, and then that's part of the New Jerusalem. I wouldn't have got to hear that if all those saints said, I'm glad they canceled. See what I mean? Uh, these are the kind of saints we have among us. Uh, you know, I told the brothers, when Benson and I would go to Boston, you know, Benson had the most ground of any coworker in Boston because he visited, Brother Lee sent Benson to Boston uh, right after the turmoil there in 77 or so, and he wanted Benson to go. You know, if Benson goes anywhere, he brings the Lord's presence with him. Uh, he brings, uh, he just brings the Lord's presence with him. He's full of divine and mystical antibiotics. You know, he just, he just uh, so he goes to Boston. What does he do? He gets the phone list out of all the saints in Boston. You know what he does with that phone list? He starts praying over the phone list. He has every brother and sister on that phone list over to his house for a meal. Over to his house for a meal. One by one by one by one. All those saints in Boston love Brother Benson. So I was invited to give a conference there by, you know, one of the more leading brothers there at the time. It's still, you know, it, it, it still wasn't completely positive. Benson told me, he said, Ed, the things that happened in 1977 there, I can still see the effects of them going on, even to this day, you know, after Billy went to be with the Lord. And so um, Benson and I go there, you know, and we, all these people have PhDs, PhDDs, you know, you know, all kind of, all kind of DDD. And Benson and I are from Texas. Benson joked with me. He said, Ed, you and I are like Texas used car salesmen, you know, with our ties. You know, mid-level like this, and all these, all these people are so brilliant. You know, but we've got the Lord Jesus with us, and we're bringing, we're bringing Christ to them. You know, maybe we are like that, but we're, we're, we have the simplicity and purity toward Christ. That's what counts. That's what counts. And so, um, but there are saints here like this, and and the saints here, you know. Like, oh, I, I won't name them because they, they, you know, they might be embarrassed. Uh, but they're so brilliant and they're so simple. They love the Lord so much. And they would never tell you. 
Ricky tells me, Ed, see that sister? She's got a law degree from Harvard. I said, whoa. I mean, my goodness. Um, you know, to me, that's like un unreal. You know, um, oh, you see that brother? He got this degree. You see that sister? That degree. That, you see that sister? She got five kids and she's got a degree from, a medical degree from Harvard. What? Are you kidding me? And, uh, and you would never know it. Unless Ricky told me. Uh, but she's simple. She's a simple, pure lover of Jesus. What a testimony. You know, people like that are Daniels. Daniels. You know, Daniel had three companions. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Don't talk to me about their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Okay, you can talk to me about their Babylonian It's okay. But you have to realize those were Babylonian names. And all those names were names related to idols. I-D-O-L-S. I want you all, when I come here next time, I'm going to ask you, what were their names, their Hebrew names? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They're all meaningful, all those names. You know what Mishael means? Who is what God is? Who is what God is? That means God is incomparable. Who is what God is? Daniel. You know, they're all meaningful. Then Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to, you know, this the God of the, the fire God or something like that, you know. Um, but they were the most brilliant young people, not only in Israel, but in all of Babylon. They were the most brilliant ones, the brilliant. But they loved God. They were lovers of God. That was their testimony. Even the Babylonians, the governor, when they talked about Daniel, they didn't say, this man is so brilliant. He has an excellent mind. You know what they said? Now, these are Babylonians. This man has an excellent spirit. That was his most outstanding quality, even to them. His spirit is an excellent spirit. That means his spirit was the most prominent part of his being. And because he exercised his spirit so much, even the Babylonians recognized he has an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. So, anyway, I love the brothers and sisters. You know, they are just so priceless to me. You know, we've got, we've got Daniels, Hananias, Michels, and Azariahs among us, right? Um, Okay, but oh, I was on Laodicea, a degraded, distorted Philadelphia, proud. Okay, what happened? I was talking about John Nelson Darby. John Nelson Darby was brilliant. And Brother Lee read a lot about John Nelson Darby. But you know what Brother Lee testified? He said, the thing that touched me the most about John Nelson Darby was when he was in his mid-80s. And he was traveling for the Lord's interest. He was in a hotel room all by himself. And he knelt down by his bed. And he said, Lord Jesus, I still love you. Lord Jesus, I still love you. That was the most impressive thing. Brother Lee, where did, the, where did all those translations of the Bible come from? Where did that synopsis of the Bible come from? It came out of his love for the Lord. You see? And... um. And this is how the brothers went. They just called themselves brothers. 
So the people, the Christian populace, they didn't know what they, they wanted to call them something, but they didn't take a name. So they said, Oh, we'll call them the brethren, the brethren. You see, they're the, but they didn't call themselves that. They're just brothers, the brethren. So people don't know, know what the, who we are. We say, we're the church in New York City. What church? What's the name of your church? We don't take a name. We're just a church. We happen to be in New York City. We're the church in New York City. That's scriptural. That's scriptural. And, it, and, it's, and it's logical. It's simple. Um, you know, we've given that example. You've got the, there's only one moon, right? One moon. When you're, you're in New York City, it's the moon in New York City. You're in LA, it's the same moon, but it's in Los Angeles. You're in um, Miami, same moon, Miami. So there's only one church, one body of Christ, but it is manifested and expressed in different localities. So that one moon, that one church becomes the church in New York, the church in Los Angeles. Isn't that wonderful? That's simple. So you look in the New Testament. There's no denominations in the New Testament. There's the church in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch, the church in, look at this, the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna. Seven churches, seven cities. One church for one city, one city with only one church. That's scriptural, that's simple. That's why we have the Lord's blessing. You'll see on the outline, when we stand on the ground of the church, we are choosing to love all our brothers and sisters. Um, okay, so you have these seven uh, stages of the church. Now, I'll say this, and then we'll come to the outline. You know, the last four stages of the church, the last four churches, they will be with us until the Lord comes back. The initial church, the suffering church, the worldly church, historically are over. What is with us today? The apostate church, Protestant church, church of brotherly love, and the degraded and distorted Philadelphia, proud, lukewarm, and crisis. Now, why can we say that those four stages are with us until the Lord's coming? Is because with each, with Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, there are verses, like in Thyatira, it says what, it says, what you have, hold fast until I come. See, the Lord's coming is mentioned in each one of those. Sardis, I will come as a thief, and you won't, you shall no means know one hour I will come upon you. See, that's the Lord's coming. Can you, can you imagine the Lord liking him, himself to a thief? You, you gotta love the Lord. You know, I'm sorry. I'm a crazy lover of Jesus. When I read these things about the Lord Jesus, I'm just in awe. Can you imagine he likened himself to a thief? Why do you do that? Because when a thief comes to your house, he doesn't go to your, your laundry to steal your dirty laundry. He doesn't look under your sink to get your trash. He comes for the valuables, right? So when the Lord comes back, you know, secretly, he's going to come back for his overcomers, the, the people that are precious to him. You see, uh, Philadelphia, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have till no one take your ground. Same with Laodicea. Okay, now, let's come to Roman numeral one. We're going to make it saints. Remember, this is just message three, right? Tomorrow, message four. Okay, 
Roman number one, we need to see, live. Not saying this was important, what I said to you. It's very important that you see this. Okay, one, we need to see, live, and practice the present truth, the up-to-date truth, in order to change the age and bring Christ back. We need to hear what the Spirit is speaking to the churches, the voice of God in the present hour. What is the voice of God in the present hour? The Lord has been speaking, speaking, speaking through so many ages. What is his up-to-date speaking? Peter uses this term, the present truth. That is the up-to-date truth. You see, that's what we want to be in. Now, A says, all the truths are in the Bible, but through man's foolishness, unfaithfulness, negligence, disobedience, and degradations, de- degradation, many truths were lost and hidden from man. This is true in church history. You go from the initial church all the way up to the present day. Many truths were lost. Many truths were hidden. They needed to be discovered. Some some faithful brothers had to translate this book, had to, had to die as martyrs to get this book into English, you see, into German, for example, into the language of the people so that we can read the Bible. It's a great, great thing. Now, I have these verses from Second Kings here because this is during the reign of Josiah. Josiah, the Lord put something in Josiah when he was a young person. And Josiah, you know, the temple had been so devastated, idols everywhere, torn down. He said, I want to clear up the the temple. I want all those idols out. I want the temple repaired. So he told um, Hilkiah was the high priest. Shaphan was a scribe then. He said, I want you to put offering boxes there so the people can offer. So the, these workmen who, who uh, how do I say, refurbish the temple, they, they have something, some material supply so they can serve full time. He said, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to even check. How, I trust them. I trust them. They're going to take what they need. They're going to labor on purifying the temple. Now listen to this. They're clearing the rubble out of the temple. Then he'll, listen, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, they're clearing the rubble out. What do they find? They find a book. They find a book. And so Hilkiah says to Shaphan the scribe, he said, I have found the book. You know what the word Bible means? The book. I have found the book of the law in the house of Jehovah. That is the beginning of the Lord's recovery. Now, the, the, that was the Bible. I found the Bible because their Bible was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Our Bible is much, you know, 66 books now. But that was their Bible. I have found the book of the law in the house of Jehovah. And so, um, you know, they came to King Josiah and, um, and, uh, you know, um, Shaphan the scribe, he said to the king, he said, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it out loud before the king. He read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to Josiah. And 
Josiah rent his garments. He repented. He rent his garments. He realized, we're, look, look, look how we disobeyed God. Look how God has warned us. All this will happen. He just repented. And he cleared up all the idols in the land. There was a big revival in Israel while he was reigning, just for that period of time. And uh, where did it start? It started with the book. The book. You see, brothers and sisters, look, we want to do everything according to the book. The book. You know, I'm so thankful. Uh, um, I'm so thankful, Joshua, for these dear Korean sisters, you know, that you introduced me to. Uh, you know, I can see you out there. You don't, I know you don't want to be noticed, but I can see you. I can see you. You know what they do? They get into the outlines that we do and they get into all the verse references, right? Uh, right, Joshua? Yes. And then when they get into the verse references, they can see that every point on here is from the Bible. It's all scriptural. And you have to know that because we're not, we want to do what the Bible says. If the Bible doesn't say it, I don't want it. That's why we sing that song. What a wonderful change in my living is wrought by saying amen to God's word. That's the Lord's recovery. In other words, I can receive this book according to my preference. I can say, well, you know, it's, you know, uh, if I say amen to that verse, I won't be popular. Well, we're not going to do that. We're going to say amen. Whether we're popular or we're not popular, we're going to say amen. Okay. John the Baptist was not a Southern Baptist. Does it say John the Southern Baptist? It doesn't say that. It, it, I love anybody who's in the Southern Baptist. I love my brothers. I'm not talking about the brothers. I'm talking about the system. There's no such thing as a Southern Baptist here in this book. It's John the Baptizer, right? Uh, there's no Presbyterian here. There's no Methodist. There's no whatever you want to say. What's in here? The church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all in all. The church in this locality. The church in that locality. You know, we have a booklet called The Ground of the Church. And at the end of the booklet, uh, Brother Lee tells a story of, of uh, two brothers on a streetcar. And the one brother's passing out tracks. The other brother's sitting there. He's in the church, I think in Shanghai. And um, anyway, he sees the brother passing out tracks. And uh, they start fellowshiping one another. And the brother who's passing out tracks, he said, what church do you belong to? He said, I belong to the same church you belong to. I belong to the same church Martin Luther belonged to, Zinzendorf belonged to, Darby belonged to. I belong to the same church that every genuine believer in Christ belongs to. We belong to the same church, brother. You know what that brother said? He said, that would be wonderful. And it is wonderful. So that's why we practice the way we practice, because we choose to love all of our brothers and sisters. You see, we don't just love our brothers and sisters that meet within these walls. We choose to love all our brothers and sisters. And here's what Brother Nee said. Just because you choose to love all the brothers and sisters 
doesn't mean all the brothers and sisters will love you. See, but we have to make that choice. Okay, now let's come to be. These freshly revealed truths are not God's new inventions. Rather, they are man's new discoveries. Every worker of the Lord should inquire before God as to what the present truth is. Saints, we need to dis- make new discoveries in the word. Jeremiah, we all we all love Jeremiah 15, 16, right? But somehow we read over the first part of that verse. It says, your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Look at the first part. Your words were found. That means Jeremiah made new dis- a new discovery in the word. We need to make new discoveries every day, fresh discoveries. You know, a, a few uh, terms ago, I read the last few sentences of footnote one on Romans 5.14. It says, Romans 5 through 8 can be considered as the kernel of the Bible. And I had read that before, but it was a new discovery to me when I read it that time. I said, my goodness. I shared it with Brother Ron. Ron said, my goodness. He said, my goodness, too. And so we both decided. Let's have two terms on this. One term will cover Romans 5 through 6. Another term will cover Romans 7 through 8. Romans 5 is on, uh, is uh, you know, you have in Adam, Romans 6 in Christ, Romans 7 in the flesh, Romans 8 in the spirit. That can be considered at the kernel of the Bible. So when I began, I asked the trainees, what's the kernel of the Bible? You know what they said, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, of course they said that. I said, yeah, that's right. And I said, what chapters in the Bible can be considered at the kernel of Bible? Silence, right? So I read them that footnote. It was a new discovery. It's a new discovery to me. Saints, we are still making new discoveries. You read the life study, you say, wow, I never saw that before. I was, listen, I'll tell you a personal testimony. I was in the meeting, I edited the message, I read it to Brother Lee, and then I read it again. What is this? I never saw this before. You see what I mean? That's Rhema. Logos is one thing, and we need you can't have the Rhema without the Logos. It's by praying over the Logos, the written word, that it's converted to Rhema. See what I mean? But what what prepares us to be his bride, what beautifies us to be his bride, is the washing of the water in the rhema, the Lord's instant presence speaking. Okay, now let's go on. Um, actually, this is going to be perfect, saints. If I get through Roman numeral one, that's marvelous. Because Roman numeral two, it's a big enchilada. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you, you got to see the whole package, okay? Now, okay. Uh, <laughs> let's look and see. God's truths are cumulative. Later truths do not re- negate the former ones. What we see today are the cumulative revelations of God. Today we are living in the tide of God's will, which is a continuation of all the past works of God in the previous ages, may God be gracious to us 
so that we do not become castaways of the present truths, present truth. Saints, God's truths are cumulative. What we see today doesn't negate everything in the past. Listen, a little electrician today knows more than Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison was a genius, right? If Thomas Edison could walk in the door right now, we get a brother's electrician. Just, hey, Mr. Edison, did you know this? No, I never knew that. Why? Because that little electrician is standing on Thomas Edison's shoulders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we know so much more about electricity today. And um, saints, let me just give you a picture. If you look at the book of Genesis, you have Adam, Abel, Enosh, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you can see particular truths with each one of them. You can see the vision of that age with Adam. You can see uh, the vision of, of a particular Adam, Abel, Enosh, calling on the name of the Lord. If you want to be in the present truth and you're with Enosh, you need to call upon the name of Jehovah. Enosh means weak, mortal, fragile. Now, when, when man realizes that he's mortal and he's fragile, you know, you look at me, you say, oh, Brother Ed, he's a big brother. Well, actually, you could put a sign on Brother Ed that says, fragile, handle with care, handle with care. And so, because I'm fragile, I have to call on the name of the Lord. That's not a doctrine. Don't, don't say, oh, I've graduated. Oh, that's for the young people. No. Uh, if you stop calling the name of the Lord, uh, you know, you, you're in a coffin. You see? Listen, the more you go on with the Lord, the more you treasure calling on the name of the Lord. You, you, be, you become, when you become weak, when you, you don't know. Anyway, you're just, you're just weak. It's like Jeremiah. I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. When you are in the lowest pit, calling on the name of the Lord becomes very precious to you. I called upon your name, O Jehovah, out of the lowest pit. Don't hide your ear at my breathing, at my cry. Calling on the name of the Lord is spiritual breathing. You see? So it's, it's conversing with the Lord. You say, listen, don't say this. Don't say, oh, I'm so tired. Change it to this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so tired. How about that? When you say, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so tired, he'll say, Brother Ed, I'm not tired. He'll give you energy. Don't say, oh, don't say, oh, I'm so bored. Oh, I've heard what Brother Ed shared. I've heard this so many times before. Change it into, oh, Lord Jesus. I've heard this so many times. Then the Lord said, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? You, you, you just turn everything into, oh, Lord Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, you look at the clock, don't say, oh, no. Have you ever done that? You look at, you set the alarm for 6 a.m. Then you look at the clock, 5.45 a.m. You go, oh, no, I've only got 50, 15 more minutes. Change those oh, no's. In the O Lord's. Okay, now let's go to D. Oh, oh, let me just tell you. Got Adam, Abel, Enoch. Enoch. What did Enoch do? He walked with God. 
What does it mean to walk with God? It means you take God as your center. You take God as your everything. It means you do everything according to God's revelation and according to God's leading. Now, who's the next one? Noah. What did Noah do? He worked with God. Now, if you read the account of Noah very carefully, it also says Noah walked with God. You see, so Noah, Noah's revelation of building the ark, it includes all the foregoing visions. You see, Adam, Abel, Enoch, Enoch, Noah. So at Noah's time, that was the present truth. But it doesn't negate the former truths. It includes them all. So listen, you want to be a co-worker like Noah? You have to be a co-walker like Enoch. It says Noah walked with God. So to be a co-worker, you have to be a co-walker. Then Abraham. Oh, my goodness, there's so many things with Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Uh, oh, Joseph is spectacular. You know, we have uh, blue. We have green life studies. Then we have blue volumes. You know, you know blue volumes, sure. There's one blue volume just on Joseph, just on Joseph. And it talks in there about the rulership of the spirit, the rulership of the spirit. And in those life studies, it says the rulership of the spirit is the highest aspect of the spirit. Now, we, Ron and I and Kara, we fellowship, we tentatively have decided to make that a book. On Joseph, make it a book. Seven is a book. Joseph, I don't know how we'll title it, you know, but Joseph will be there, right? You know, his brother said, here comes this master of dreams. That's who Joseph was, a master of dreams. Um, anyway, um, wonderful, wonderful. That just gives you an example. Okay, now let's come to D. The present truth of the Lord's up-to-date and ultimate recovery is to bring us into a new revival to turn the age by our choosing. Saints, it's up to our choice. We have a song. I was talking to Ricky about it before, and we didn't get to sing it. It says, will you be an overcomer? Will you make this choice? Christ is calling. Christ is calling. Listen to his voice. Now, you may say, well, I don't have the strength to make that choice. That's right. So you pray, read Philippians 2.13. It is God who operates in you, both the willing and the working, for his good pleasure. You say, I'm not willing. You can say, oh, God, operate in me, the willing, for your good pleasure. Operate in me, the working, that's hourly, for your good pleasure. He will operate in you. He will dispense into you the willingness for his good pleasure, you see. So, Christ is calling, Christ is calling. Listen to his voice. Make this choice. It's by our choosing to take the way of Philadelphia. Only the recovered church, the church of brotherly love, signified by the church in Philadelphia, can fulfill God's eternal purpose and satisfy his heart's desire. Okay, I'm going to stop there. And then tomorrow, what we are going to do is we are going to see the three aspects of the new revival with the Church of Philadelphia.
really remarkable. You can see the highest peak of the divine revelation there. You can see the God-man living there. You can see shepherding according to God there. And those three aspects we saw this morning, Psalm 22, the Lord's first coming. Psalm 24, he comes back as the king. What's the bridge? Shepherding. Shepherding will bring the Lord back. If we enter into God-man living corporately, that will bring the Lord back. If we arrive at the highest peak of the divine revelation, that will bring the Lord back. You know what those, you put those three together? One is the vision of eternity. Other is the life of eternity. Third is the work of eternity. The work of eternity. Who is eternity? Eternity is the process of consummated triune God. Eternity is the new Jerusalem. Eternity. God has put eternity in man's heart. We need to see the vision of eternity. We need to live the life of eternity. We need to do the work of eternity. You know what that is? To see the vision of eternity and to see the vision of the new Jerusalem. To live the life of eternity is to live out the new Jerusalem. To do the work of eternity is to work out the new Jerusalem. To live out the new Jerusalem is to become the new Jerusalem. To work out the new Jerusalem is to build the new Jerusalem. Okay, I'll stop there. Hallelujah. Okay, um, I know we've been sitting for a long time. It's the afternoon. It's a siesta time, right? Uh, <laughs> how about we stand up and say praise the Lord three times. Praise the Lord.